if we start to pay attention to how much time we waste, then we are so much more efficient and we will have hours in the day. And the problem is when we feel stress, we're looking at least for a quick distraction. So we'll go to social media, we'll do these things that suck time and we don't realize we're just actually having a stress response. So here's the thing, entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople, we all want to create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we want to do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question, and this show is dedicated to the answer. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited for today's guest. Um, we actually have a really long bio here. Like this is a first for the Tom Ferry podcast experience. Um, but today's guest is, is really a woman of just multiple titles. Uh, Gabrielle Reese, uh, a beach volleyball legend, uh, a champion both on and off the courts and of course in the sand. She's the first female spokeswoman for Nike, which is huge. And we want to get into that as well. Uh, and her Air GR2 shoes outsold Air Jordan, which is, is fantastic. Um, Gabby's also been a model, right, who has graced the covers of Elle magazine, Life magazine, Shape, and, and multiple others. She's been a television host. And it doesn't end there, right? She's also a New York Times bestselling author. She's married. She has beautiful, a beautiful family. And today with her uh, husband, she's the co-founder of XPT Experience, which is a strength and conditioning training program, which I just downloaded the app. And this morning was doing the uh, anxious breathing exercise, preparing for this interview. <laughs> so Gabby, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, who did you do your uh, breathing with? Uh, I actually did it by myself, right? So I'm a. Who a, was your guide though? Was it PJ or Mark or me or who was it? It was a female voice. Hold okay. on. Let me pull it up really fast here. I actually have it loaded, ready to go. Hello and welcome to Breathing for Anxiety. Oh, I think it's Lindsay. Yep. Okay. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. Great. So I know we're going to get into this app, but there's oh, so many things to discuss today. I was doing my homework and I was listening to a couple of different podcasts with you, listening to a couple of different interviews. Um, would you mind just for context for maybe the people that don't understand your backstory and how you got here, um, going back to like the very beginning, would you share that story? Like moving to California and take us all the way through the journey? Yeah. So you want me sort of after college part of the journey? I, I want from like two years old, leaving oh. California, okay. I want to go way back. Oh my God. Okay. Well, so I'll try to really condense it quickly. Sure. I, my parents, I think, you know, they, my father passed away when I was five, but, and my mother would never admit to it, but I think they had like a flingy type of relationship. And out of that, I, I arrived, I, they didn't really stay together very long. Um, my father's from Trinidad. My mother's from New York. They met in California. Go figure 1969, you know, what was going on. So and then I, I lived with my mother who, dolphins in a circus in Mexico and I got whooping cough there and so she had a neighborhood friend she was quite young maybe 22 ish 20 maybe 23 by then uh, anyway so then this couple that either chose or decided not to have children he had just come back from Vietnam Vietnam it was like 1972 
they took care of me in Long Island, New York for about five years. Then my mother in that time remarried and my stepfather's from Puerto Rico and we moved down there and then ended up, I ended up then growing up in the Virgin Islands until I was 15. And so in 11th grade, I was moved to Florida because, you know, what's great about living on islands is like you have this great lifestyle, um, you're grounded. However, if it's sort of a critical age, it can go wrong pretty, pretty, pretty fast. Yeah. And so um, I was pulled out of there and then I went to St. Petersburg, Florida, and I got involved with uh, athletics there. I had dabbled a bit in volleyball but prior to that, but not so serious there. And mind you, I was six foot three by the time I moved there. So, you know, that was helpful. And um, I fell into sports, basketball and volleyball. And long story short, I ended up getting offers for both and chose volleyball and chose Florida State. Graduated at 17, went to Florida State on a scholarship. And then that summer when I was 18, I started modeling in New York because I needed to pay my bills besides the scholarship. And, um, and then I did the dual role for all the three years. My coach helped me figure out how to do that. I actually ended up paying to play. I gave up my scholarship after my sophomore year. And, um, and then I moved to Miami after college. Uh, I got introduced to beach volleyball. And after about a year and a half, someone said, oh, you should move to California and be a professional. So here I am back in California in 92. And from there, I just was very, as we say, very good timing, you know. Um, so Nike and the four-person tour and doubles. And um, that was in 92. And then I met my husband in 95. And uh, here I am. And, and I should say, because again, I don't want to bore people with like uh, the long story of it, is because beach volleyball is so small of a platform, and I think this is an important part of my story, I've always done a lot of things. So once I could be a professional athlete, I actually stopped modeling per se and tried to parlay all the storytelling into me, the person, the athlete. Um, when I was younger, I was a girl for hire, and that was great, and it was a great way to make a living. But because the platform was so small, it actually forced me to hustle. So I was doing TV, and I was doing other things simultaneously to being a professional volleyball player, because I think intuitively I knew and understood there was a lot of limitations. And so I better, while I was you know, in that time of my life, develop other skill sets, things that I was naturally attracted to, um, like doing television or writing or things like that. So I, I, I think oftentimes people will say, oh, how did you know to, you know, do all these things? And the truth of the matter is, it's not that I could see so far ahead. It's just the fact that I, I was in a very small sport. So I, I knew I was going to have to kind of support that foundation with other things yes i mean so many so many people can relate to that because even the story today is a culture of side hustles extra work um you know building your brand which you were you were so on point with there's there's like a hundred things i want to unpack on this but the one question that i really wanted to go into this morning after i i literally could have told that story i listened to a, an interview you did where you shared sort of your life's journey. And, and Gabby, so many people get wrapped up in the way that they were raised or the circumstances of, of the moment or their time in life. And you know, they either, they either make themselves the hero or they make themselves the victim. And I'm curious, like for you, how did you find that sort of hero, you know, heroism to go out and do what you've done 
And then what advice do you have for the person that's maybe listening, thinking, you know, I, I, I kind of got stuck in my past. I think it's a really interesting and important conversation to have all the time, because even though, let's say, for example, I wasn't, I wasn't paralyzed by my past to keep me from doing things. There were attributes that developed, though, that I still contend with today that I'm trying to refine that are internal um, traits. So, for example, um, I think my survival, my, my drive to survive was so powerful that it actually overrode, um, you know, this idea of being a victim. I, I think I was hardwired to be like, no one's going to do it. I have to go do it. And, and I think there's something to be said. I said a lot of things come out of a chip on your shoulder and fear and things like that. But then I think we get to a place in life where we have to actually celebrate what gifts and talents we have and what contribution we want to make. So if there was somebody sitting there saying, well, I've had a very hard past or people have not been particularly kind to me, things like that, I would say a couple of things. I would say that not only is that over, but what high cards, what aces do you have in your deck and start to drill down and hone in on that. And also how do you want to con contribute to the world that you live in? Because I, one thing I know is you can accumulate wealth or you could accumulate, um, you know, uh, notoriety or all of these things. But really at the end of the day, what makes us feel good is when we contribute to the, to the world that we live in and, and in some way offer our, our talent to the tribe, if you, if you know what I mean. And, and maybe the tribe is bigger. It wasn't, it's not a hundred people, but it's sort of getting in touch with that. And I also think that I don't want to say forgiveness, but there's something to be said for nobody did it to you. People did the best they, they could at that time. Maybe some of them are actually mentally ill. You know, like some of us could be born to people that are mentally ill or had a mentally ill uncle who, you know, came to the house and was inappropriate. Right. And so in a way, it's about how do we shift how we look at things and say, okay, how do I go from here? It doesn't mean it's easy. And, and like I said, even for me, I, I sometimes walk around like my feet are on fire um, and I'm, I worry like about the future and things that are, it's sort of an unnecessary trait now. And I'm always looking for ways to refine that within myself. Um, and, and so it, it, it never goes away. Even for people who have great childhoods we're always going to be working on something i think it's the human plight so it's not about saying well i'm working on this and once i'm done working on this i can participate get going participate and then just keep working you know i call it you know sort of polishing the stone um and be honest with yourself like i feel afraid i'm angry um you, you know i i'm a, i'm a, i don't know how to have fun i don't know how to be successful i'm a, i don't know how to receive winning all of these things are okay to say. And do you believe, uh, and I certainly do, do you believe we should look in the mirror and vocalize that, like own that, or is it more of an, uh, an interpersonal introspective moment? I mean, certainly I think it can be introspective, but I find it the best to be able to be said to somebody that you're close enough to that, that you can trust that it's not... It, you don't become concerned that you've given this very delicate information to, and they're not quite, and they're not also going to try to say to you, well, I mean, 
but everything's so good. You should be grateful. You should be grateful, but you should have the space to say, and I'm super anxious or I'm, I am afraid or I doubt myself or I don't think I deserve it or whatever our stories are that we tell ourselves, because I feel like just the ability to put it out in front of us and to have someone else go, okay. I also think it minimizes the impact and we realize it's not awful that we feel those things. It's probably normal, but now what are we going to do about it? And so I think it's a dual. I think it's having that internal conversation to really understand what you're feeling if it keeps showing up and then finding a safe place to verbalize it. But then there's another step beyond that, which is to take action. I think a lot of people get to number two even and they even might go to therapy. But I think at some point, we have to begin to create new habits and new practices and do things that make us uncomfortable because that's how we sort of get through and get to the next. Have you met David Goggins? I haven't. I've only you know, followed his, uh, him, him on social media or heard him on podcasts and things like that. I wonder what David Goggins is running from though. That's what I wanna ask David Goggins. <laughs> I'm joking, but you know. <laughs> I no, I think that's a fan. So I've interviewed him twice. I've worked with him a couple times. Uh-huh. Um, He's amazing. Yeah, he he worked with my son, uh, who's a tennis player, for three hours backstage before he went on stage. And I mean, basically, my son got a three-hour, you know, like just layout session with David Goggins, and he said to me afterwards, "Thanks." You know, because David's intense, but so much of what you're saying is his conversation around the accountability mirror. You know, you've got to face it. Like if you're overweight, you're overweight. You got to look yourself in the mirror and say, you're fat, now do something about it. Yeah. So, you know, I think you said that perfectly. Um, I want to ask you this question. People would look at someone like yourself and say, I mean, my goodness, like look at all of the success. But did you ever have any roadblocks that you faced? And if so, like what were your steps for overcoming it? Well, I think we've all heard this many times, but I know it to be true. We are all our own worst enemy. And even uh, someone like myself, where I might still do something and go for it and even work really hard at something, inside I am, I am still my own, own worst enemy. And, and um, I think certainly you, I had roadblocks, but I will say this, I was involved in activities that were very complementary to a female. Mm-hmm. I was in uh, a sport, which volleyball is a, is a highly dominated fe- feminine female sport. So we were in ways treated actually in an elevated way over the men. And um, if you want to talk about fashion, I mean, that is a woman's deal. The male models are, you know, kind of props, if you will. So I think my obstacles have been more like this starting a new business, mm-hmm. um, the successes and failures of those, staying in, in those businesses either too long, spending too much money in them, they were not right, taking the lessons and going on to the next. Because ultimately, I've always been an entrepreneur, right? You're, I've, I'm a freelance person. So day to day, you have obstacles because you're forging the path. Um, I think what it is, is you keep drilling down on why am I doing this? Why am I really really doing this? Do I believe in this? Mm -hmm. Do I feel proud of this? Is this time that is worth not being either with my family or doing something positive for myself? Am I willing to take 
you know, the blows in order to get to the other side of this. Cause a lot of times you'll be like, well, this isn't even worth it. Right. And, um, and, and then, and then also once you do it in, enough, I think there's sort of a rhythm and, and a, a pattern to things. So like when I was joking earlier about business where uh, we then learn how to not only um, align with people that are very good at what they do, but also their sort of moral or philosophical compass is lined up. So if we get further down the road in business, there's not going to be that conflict. It's also, um, and, and then, and recognizing and appreciating sort of teammates, if you will, in work that um, are good at what they do and deferring to them in their space and having that trust and things like that. So I think it's also about having enough failures that you get those lessons that you take into the next and um and make it smooth but yeah i think coming from sports um you know i always joke like when you go to practice you work on what you're not good at and you get comfortable with that and that is i think when you can do that in your life hey i'm not good at this or this is not working we're going to work on this not always looking for um oh that was amazing it's like that's not what's going to get you there so it's it's really sort of looking at you know, what needs to get done? What's the plan for that? A strategy. And then also going, oh, you know what? I'm not doing so good over here. I got to work on this. Have you, I mean, everything you just said there is so battle tested as an entrepreneur. I mean, I've, I've been in this game for 30 plus years. I've started 17 companies. I'm invested in 57. And I, I actually want to take that snippet and basically send it to every CEO that, of all the startup companies we've invested in. Because you're, you're, completely on point but do you believe do you believe that sports and and the fact that we lose so often in sports actually makes us not comfortable with losing but but more understanding of you don't always win well the losing is part of the winning it's like life the heart like you discussed your wife going through breast you know through cancer yeah the the heart is a part of the joy is a part of the magic is a part of the elation it's like you know and i think if we look at life that way the losing is part of the winning the sadness is part of the the you know great deep you know love and joy that we can experience and not freak out but and it doesn't mean we can't feel sad or we can't be like wow i've got my ass kicked today in business and i lost but it's sort of saying and this too is a part of the formula yeah yeah have you ever heard the concept of uh, the alter ego? Um, I think I, I have, but I, I, just so I'm clear. Well, just most, most athletes that I meet, a uh, mm -hmm. friend of mine who's a wonderful author who's been working with athletes, like professional athletes for the last like two and a half decades, writes this book on the alter ego. And the concept is that, that most athletes, most performers will basically create in their mind a persona that goes out on stage and operates at this super level when, when maybe they feel emotionally they couldn't until those two eventually intercede or connect. So like when I say that to you, like can you think of an alter ego that perhaps you created either was for business and for, or for sports or even for being a parent? Oh yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. If I could be a producer of, of and a working person behind, oddly you, you wouldn't, realize it no seeing me i don't i'm not particularly um in need of a, of a lot of outside attention mm -hmm. but for whatever reason i've always been comfortable communicating in front of lots of people and things like that but 
this is what I did. Like, let's just take fashion for an example. I didn't want to stand there in like heels and a dress and like, you know, do that. But I also would go, okay, what's the goal and what's my job? And so I'm going to do that. I'm going to focus on that. I'm not going to focus on that. This is not really so much how I am and it makes me uncomfortable. I'm going to focus on my role is to do a certain job and what do I need to do that? And conversely, it was the same with sports. I'm not naturally, I mean, I'm probably competitive, but I would sort of up certain parts of my personality. So even for example, today I train with Laird and I don't normally, I train near him, but I don't train with him. It's like, you know, wouldn't do it to yourself. And he gave us these drills and instantly I became a 17 year old boy. Because I was saying to, to create that energy to get it done, I had to be a little belligerent and I had to have something to push against inside myself. Where if I was like his wife or like, you know, somebody's mom, it's like, oh, how many were doing 50? No, instead of it was like, I'm like a 17 year old mm. who's like, okay, okay, you know, like a little bit obnoxious. And so I think within that, absolutely, I think um, being a boss. I have another side that you, you create this alter ego to your point where I have to drop off information that's uncomfortable as a female. Um, I don't want to do it emotionally. I want to do it objectively as, as that person in that role. And um, I've definitely had to learn that language and, and create that person. So absolutely um, you amplify that's what it is maybe is amplifying different parts of your personality. I think when we do it and it isn't us, that's where we get into trouble. Yes. Yes. I, I have friends that are like very well known and big performers, like arena type things, a yeah. singer. The problem is, is it's, it is such a part of them, but also in some ways it's so far and I think what's tricky in those dynamics is like the drop come down and you, there's so much output and then you're getting so too much an unnatural amount of attention that it almost can make you like a, you're bummed. hundred percent. So it's like, that's the only one I'm so grateful. I don't have to manage that because yeah. you see those people. And I'm like, I don't know how you recover from that kind of attention and light and heat um, to like everyday minutia, unsexiness, take the garbage out. Um, your chick wants to communicate with you and you're like, why don't I just go in front of 75,000 people and just, they love me. So that's the only time I've seen where they go too far almost. Yeah. That's a really, um, it's a fascinating insight. I'll send you a copy of this book. He talks a lot about um, Beyonce creating Sasha Fierce. Yeah. You know, Kobe Bryant creating the Black Mamba. Yeah. Right? And, and at least when he talked about um, Sasha Fierce and Beyonce, he said like she would put on the Sasha Fierce outfit. So when she was done, she could take that off, set it over there and go be Beyonce again. Yeah. And, and so she was able to, at least the way he describes it in the book, I've not, I've not met her and had this conversation, but he said that she was able to like take it off. And I mean- That's smart. Yeah, I'm a performer. So I know what it's like to be in front of 6,000 people in an audience and then go home and my wife's like, take the freaking trash out. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I and you, like, take the trash out. And if you can like almost see the beauty in that duality, you know, cause I always say life always has tension. Yeah. Um, then that's where you hit this, the sweet spot because then you're just like, 
isn't that funny? Like yesterday, everyone was kissing my ass and I was up on stage and now I'm walking outside and I hope a raccoon's not here because I'm going to throw my rubbish out. You know, it's like, if I feel like when we can sort of really enjoy that, yes. then I think it's, it's in our favor. No doubt. No doubt. So um, let's go back to business for a second. There was something that I read and, and repeatedly heard in podcasts and others where you've done like a really exceptional job, basically for lack of a better way to describe it, controlling your brand, right? Whether it was with uh, Nike or in your volleyball career, certainly your modeling career, television. Um, where, did that, where did that come from? And what insight would you share? Because my tribe, the people that are listening to this, they're all entrepreneurs, they're salespeople, they skew mostly 54% female. And I say like, my perfect customer is 55. She's married a husband. She raised another one. She's got kids. She's a baller in her business. And, and yet they all struggle with the same thing, like controlling their brand as they, as they scale trust in their business. So just kind of thoughts on, on where did that come from for you? And then what are your tips to do it? That's an interesting question because I will say there's sort of two parts of that that come to my mind right away, which is one, you know, at 18 working in fashion um, and then playing ball, like I was even getting pressure to not play volleyball in college. And I was like, oh, that's not me though. Yeah. Like me is fashion is an, is an awesome opportunity. And uh, I know what I see it for what it is. I know my limitations within that. That's the other thing is because of my size, there was real limitations. Sure. Um, and volleyball was like, that was me you know, kind of working hard and being on a team and all these things. So managing quote a brand, I always think it's strange. Like brand Jordan is a brand and every new athlete now talks about their brand, but they don't really have a brand. Um, controlling yourself uh, is easy. So if you say, Hey, uh, Gabby, do you want to endorse this product that you would never use in your life? Pretty easy to say, that's not me. Yeah. So I've just always, if you're talking about that said, is that me? Is that a real representation of me? Would I use that? Do I feel proud if I ran into you on the street and you go, I bought that thing because of you. So I think I always had that compass and that comes from growing up on an island and just really having it early, being true to thine own self. Now, let's say, for example, an XPT or Laird Superfood, what I've learned now if we're going to talk about entrepreneurs is, first of all, the culture. If you want to talk about really protecting your brand first, you have to figure out what is your internal culture. And I've really learned, like I knew this and we've drilled down on it, but I've really learned this from our CEO at Laird Superfood where, I mean, top to bottom, it's essential, that culture. Yes. Then that bleeds out. Um, and, and, you know, the notion of going back to why are we doing this? And everybody, you know, writes their mission statement and it's okay, it's all pie in the sky and, you know, to create for the world and all this stuff. But I think you have to be constantly in touch with why am I doing this? If I wasn't going to make money from this, why would I be doing this? What do I want to offer people? What do I want to get? And keep reinforcing that. But for the people who are entrepreneurs and they're the head, first they've got to be in charge of their culture. Mm -hmm. And then... You know, don't go like, well, this time we'll do this because it'll be good and we'll jump ahead three steps. Yeah, but if you don't really believe in that or you don't really like those people or that brand that you're going to line up with, um, it might be worth it just to go a little slower 
to understand that when you get it lined up and it's right, it goes faster in the end, period. It just will. It, I always call it the exponential, like it's slow, but then man, if it's all buttoned up and it's tight and you're sure, boom. Yep. And, um, but you, is it harder? Yes. Do you have to have more faith? You do. But that's why, that's what makes it so sweet and so, um, such an incredible experience when you get all those things to click. And by the way, if someone's on their first round, and you know this from all the businesses you've been involved with, this may not be the one. And, and that's just part of it too. Work like it is and see what happens. I love it. There was so much, I'm just looking at my team who's all taking notes as we're, as we're doing this interview. There were so many points inside of that conversation. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to switch gears because I want to talk about something that is meaningful for, again, for my tribe, salespeople, entrepreneurs, business leaders, startups. You know, you're an athlete, you're an entrepreneur, you're a mom, right? You're a business owner of multiple businesses. I guess my question is, how do you manage it all? Like, what's your process for keeping it all together? I mean, the whole enchilada, your entire life. Okay, well, I'm going to give you like a su the superficial elements first because they're easy. Yeah. I, in a day and age where everybody puts everything on their phones and their computers, I actually still write things down. Um, I have a very large notebook because imagine I'm managing my work, our businesses, Laird's work. So Laird's interviews, my interviews, appearances, travel, uh, you know, phone conferences, board meetings, and then children. So I think first of all is writing everything down uh, in an old fashioned way, because then I, it helps, I can see it. And also managing it in the way of like how it's all connected. Because if I load you up Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then the following Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm not seeing how it's all rolling out. So it's also about kind of creating flow yeah. where you go, hey man, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you're jammed up beyond. So we're, if I have the ability to slide and move and make it a little lighter for three days and then go, okay, back in. So I do that. Uh, and again, that's the superficial. Um, okay. um, but stop, stop for a second. Two things. First, someone just walked through the door. I think it was Laird. He's coming in because he's in between things and leaving. Yeah. So it's hysterical. Yeah. My whole team was like, there's a, a ghost opening the door right now. Yeah, it's Laird or the but, dog. Yeah, but really what you just said there, I think is so, I know you say it's superficial, but I think for my listeners to hear that there is a natural flow and energy, like, you know, are you good for three days of grinding and then giving yourself a break, right? But what, what I see oftentimes is they don't, they don't grind, they do just little spurts and it takes them seven, eight or 30 days in a row, but they don't produce any results. They don't really go hard for a couple of days. So yeah. unpack that a little more. Yeah, I think it's a, Okay, I'll give you an example. Let's say I'm, we're taking meetings and I'm gonna use myself as, a, as an example, as a female. I will be dressed for a meeting. I will probably put mascara on for a meeting and be ready. So why would I not go to three or four or five meetings when I've geared up, I've maybe gotten the kids dialed because I have the one and, and then I know, okay, I have a gap. I can be more of a mom tomorrow. I can pick up and drop off or pick up. So I think it's also, when I talk about that, it's the flow. Because in my case, like a lot of people, you're a lot of things. And even down to this, I will look at windows because Laird and I have, inter you know, because I do manage his schedule, I can see where there's opportunities actually even for us 
to intersect and be like, okay, well, if he's going east and I'm, you know, I'm going the other direction west um, for three or four days in a row or whatever that looks like or a week or something, I'm very clear that what needs to happen is somewhere in there, there has to be, we've got to be a couple. And uh, certainly the kids take that priority. So maybe I blow it. I can't take Brody to one practice, but I can take her to the practice two days later. So that's why it's like, if you're all in the momentum, stack it, you know, and if you then can say, all right, I get a moment to keep putting the chips into the other elements of my life, whether it's my, my family, my self-care, you know, people forget this, especially the women, you know, my friend Kenny Kane talks about like, you have buckets, like it's work, it's self-care and family, and you only have so many chips, like, where are you putting them? So if you're loading up on the work, then it's going to be time to redistribute at some point. And so I think this is really important. And, and also we, if we start to pay attention to how much time we waste, then we are so much more efficient and we will have hours in the day. And the problem is when we feel stress, we're looking at least for a quick distraction. So we'll go to social media. We'll do these things that suck time mm -hmm. and we don't realize we're just actually having a stress response. Yeah. Right. We're like, Oh, I feel overloaded. I just need a different source of stimuli. And so when we can start to notice and say, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get up. I'm going to walk around, drink some water, come down, hammer it down so that actually I'm going to finish work earlier today at four, not at six 30 because I've wasted time and utilize that time either for myself or my family. Um, but really getting on top of the distractions because in no time in life has it been easier to get stuff done and also more to just, you know, to kind of decipher through. So, I mean, that's how I manage it. And I'm always conscious of my quote unquote real life. Mm -hmm. Like I know if that goes sideways, I'm going to have a real problem. And so I'm not going to wait for, you know, Larry to be like, Oh, you've been ignoring me or my kids to kind of be like, you know, can you ramp up the mom role um, to sort of, to, to acknowledge that. However, I will say this, it also is a luxury, right? This is part of saying, I think about my business 24 hours a day. I take it home with me. I'll work on a Saturday or Sunday. That is also a luxury given to me versus if someone, let's say, is going to an office, they've got to manage it differently. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's also about acknowledging that. But if you're an entrepreneur, you have to bust your own ass and put a system in place so that you can be successful and know where you're, where you're weak or know where you can unravel or get distracted and fortify that so that you don't get yourself into trouble. Hey, it's Tom. If you've been listening to me for a while, you've heard me say repeatedly over and over again, we are living in the review economy. That's right. Consumers are making decisions based upon reviews. With that said, I'm looking to get this podcast into the minds of more amazing people just like you. You can help. Would you go to Apple Podcasts and write a review? Tell them what you think. Hey, one star, five stars, make up your own number of stars. Totally fine by me, but please go to Apple Podcast and write a review. It means the world to me. Thanks in advance. Now, let's get back to the show. There was a lot there, guys. I'm looking at my team. They're all over there like nodding. Yes. So, so Gabby, you, there's a lot of things about what you do and how you operate that impress me just doing my research. 
One of the things that I picked up on, and I think you just nailed it, is, you know, you're the face and your husband's also the face, right? But you run the back end. And there's not many people that can be the face of a, a business in a brand and run the back end. Then you take the complexity of also being a wife and a friend and a mom. Like, first of all, share, maybe just shed some other light on if you don't mind. I know you just shared a lot, but a lot of my customers, they work in you know, husband and wife teams, business partnerships. And, and one is, I, I kind of described it as the face, like who's out meeting clients and going on appointments and like, like they're out and about. And of course, the one in the back who's managing the transactions, dealing with the money, it's kind of like the minutia and the grind versus yeah. fun and joy is the way they describe it. Yeah. What advice do you have in dealing with another crazy face for all yeah. those people that I love that run the back end? You know, I, I'm, first of all, it's, it's like passing in volleyball. It's very unglamorous, but nothing happens unless you have a good passer and all the hitters get all the credit, uh, but you can't start one thing without that. So I think, first of all, um, it's kind of, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. When I had my daughters, I was the one who got pregnant. I was the one who could nurse and Laird couldn't, right? So he, like second day, I have one of the babies and like he's off surfing because he can't. And, and I was thinking, oh, what my contribution is and what I'm doing is so very different than what he is um, able to do. And um, I'm sure of this, it's my, it's my choice to choose this. So if you choose to be the back end person, be clear that um, you have chosen this because you can't resent the other person that either they have a natural skill set that they can go out there and they got ding shiny and you know they're good conversationalists and they can you know maybe they're more of a salesman and they can close deals and things like that um it's being very clear first why you're doing it the role that you're playing if you know would you want to be in the front i think it's sometimes like when you go like that it's like oh do you want to be that person and most times most people doing the back end would be like yeah no i don't so you have a different role and how do you make that role work for yourself? Because if we're comparing, you're not even comparing the same thing. Um, and, and kind of being clear that it's probably more stressful because you have more information than the front end person, you know, what's coming in, you know, what's going out, you know, where the problems are, you know, that the shipping thing didn't work. And like, you just sort of have more information and it's about saying, oh, yes, but this is the job that I feel comfortable with, that I chose, so I'm going to kick its ass. And also within it, not just have it keep coming at me, but again, how do I create my skill set that I manage it in a way that works well for me? Because you can't just keep getting crushed by things. You have to go, okay, let's get, let me get some, let me figure this out and gain some perspective. And also even things like, systems i'm a believer in systems like even if it's someone who works with you and you're the back end person and they're going to give you a bunch of information send you emails it's like listen don't send me three page emails don't leave me two and a half minute voicemails say you need to speak to me because if that's going to create stress for you then figure it out it's on you to figure that out and say okay rather than the three page email Say, do you have 15 minutes today? I'm going to come in your office or call you on the phone and let's just go through a few things. Perfect. Because then in a way, you're always circling the bowl and you, you know, you're not getting anything really done, but a bunch of stuff is getting thrown at you. Um, and, and, so I, and I think it's also enjoying 
there's an art and a joy to being behind uh, that being in front is not. So where do you, where do you start to, you know, really appreciate um, those things? Mm-hmm. That was a killer answer, by the way. Like, let's talk about, okay, let's, let's stay in this conversation of like maybe just okay. work, right? You think about yes. volleyball, fast action, four different roles, running plays that work. Like, what have you found to be some of the better hacks in working with your multiple teams to keep everybody in sync and running plays that work and doing what works? Well, I mean, listen, after, I, it's about having the right type of, connection because it's sort of like i'll give you an example like i'm very close to certain teammates on like the layered superfood all the way through the executive roles not as much on xpt however my point person and one of my co-founders is my point person and there's nobody closer to me than her Mm -hmm. so it's about having for me personally um we're clear that we're on the same page and actually, it's about paying attention. I don't just like how I'm paying attention. I'm watching things. I'm doing the extra to look and even to see things like what posts are going up and how does that look. And, um, and, and if something seems a little off, not waiting for it to bounce and go crazy and then you're freaking out, but to go, hey, can we get on a call and just talk about this? And so I think I'm more impactful because I, I relinquish the control to the people who say, this is what I'm going to be doing. This is my job. And I say, great, I trust you. And this is your job. So that when I say I need to talk about something, um, it's impactful. You know, it's, it's not like I'm trying to, you know, be a control freak because that's unproductive. We're only one person with so many hours in a day. That's dumb. And you're never going to expand and really grow if you don't know how to get people that you can say like, I got, you know, you're my other half and that's what you do. And great but you got to pay attention. You have to make sure that thing is staying in the tracks. And if it kind of goes wonk a little bit, you just have to say, Hey, I noticed this. Can we talk about it? Yeah. I love, I mean, you have such a calm demeanor and, and a lot of the people that are listening right now, especially some of the faces of these businesses, mm. they're emotional, they're expressive. It's what makes they're artists. Yeah. It's what makes them so special as a salesperson. And, you know, the problem is then they come back to their team and it's like the old joke of seagull management. They fly in and they shit, shit, shit. And then they fly away. (laughs) Yeah. Everything about what you were saying, I'm just, I'm hoping that all my team leaders and faces are listening to this because it is just better to call and say, Hey, I was just, you know, Hey, Courtney, I was just looking at something we posted on, you know, Instagram. Like, let's have a conversation about that. Let's go tell me what the strategy was. Like, it's such a calm approach. Yes. Were, you, were you always that way or did you get some mentorship or some, some coaching along the way? Like, where did that come from? I think, I think it's, it's a combination. I think playing sports, um, you have to process things in real time very quickly. And so there's a time where you're like, you know, this needs to be switched right now. Mm-hmm. Like we don't have a day or 30 minutes. We, we need to switch it now. Yeah. And then there's times where it's like, you know, that overall wasn't working. So when we go to practice tomorrow, we're just going to kind of review it and talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think it's also not being hysterical or overdramatic, but also knowing, no, we need to fix this right now. So I, I think it's gear shifting. And, and, and also it is a natural part of my, my personality, which also works against me. You know, sometimes I'm t- too analytical and, uh, 
probably not emotional enough. Like I, I even have gotten to the point where I'll be like, am I, that might make me angry. I have to think about that. Is that making, do I feel angry? You know, it's like, and, and so sometimes it's, you have to be of your spirit and your heart too. Mm-hmm. Cause this is all about instincts. Yes. If you really talk about being an entrepreneur, right? It's so much of it is, is instincts and passion and all of these things. So you don't want to get so stuck up in here that um, you kill that part too. So that's the part I always am wrestling with. Mm-hmm. I love it. So um, let, let's stay on the, the sort of conversation of like teams, but in this case, your spouse, right? Uh-huh. So, so you and Laird have, have launched multiple companies, uh, Expo, uh-huh. which I want to talk about today. Um, what's, what is it like and maybe your best hacks for working with your spouse, working on projects together, like, how do you guys make it work? Because you seem you've done a lot together. How do you guys do it? You know, I'll um, I'll use us and a friend of mine as an example. I have a friend who's doing a business with her husband, um, and so for example, she'll say, "Have you like they haven't? They've decided what the roles are, right? But then sometimes she'll check on his roles, or he'll have opinions on her roles, and I can see where that creates uh, friction, right? Yeah. So I think. The good thing about Larry and I is all the things I manage, actually Laird is not only trust me, but he's just simply not interested in. And so, and the other thing is, is I'm very clear about what Laird's strengths are and the ways to support him. Like part of my role, not only in business, but as Laird's wife is to go, who is this person? And in what best ways do I support them and the missions that they are either verbally or non-verbally expressing that they want to accomplish. Because I think when you're in a partnership, if you can, um, and, and, and I'm going to go on a limb and say, I think it's sort of like a woman does it more for a man where like, for example, Lair can say to me, I love you. I believe in you. I will protect you. I cherish you. That gives me power to go out in the world and, and crush. Mm-hmm. for I think what I have found in our dynamic if I'm like I respect you I believe I will assist you that helps Laird come to his full best self now if I try to uh, tell Laird what to do for example um, that will uh, inevitably not work so what I have found works well with us because you're talking about a very strong personality and that's why he's good at what he does again it goes back to that tension Yep. We can't want the one like, wow, he has so many great ideas and he's so innovative. And uh, every time someone says he can't do it, he seems to be able to do it. And then think, oh, just be fair, balanced and sit on the couch. It's like, no, you have a contrarian. You have somebody who, like you say, you should go left. They just go to right as like the reaction. And not to mention, nobody likes to be told what to do. And nobody in a relationship wants their mother or father right? I'm Laird's partner. I'm not his mom. So I think once you can start to really understand the nuance. So for example, he trusts me. So if I say, Hey, you have a meeting at three. Cool. He's, he's ready to go. Um, I will say that I may not tell him too far in advance because he doesn't like to feel he has a weird sensitivity to feeling too scheduled. So I know when to communicate that to him. Um, and then also there's always boundaries. So I'm going to be cool. And if he's, you know, he jokes, if he has to go on public speaking things like, Oh, I don't surf anymore. I just talk about it. Um, and I'm like, it's two days, but I don't say anything. I just think, yes, but that's what makes Laird Laird. 
is his genuine passion for surfing is always more important than going, having people go, Lord, you're great, and here's a check. That's what I love about him. So I think when you're in these partnerships, define the roles, try to speak the language that's the most impactful, not always what, you, what you're feeling. You have to manage that and be like, I'm here to execute. We're in a business dy dynamic. And even like, you know, like the other day, Laird said something to me in a way and I go, hey, I just, I'm not, I don't dig the way that you said that to me. And so uh, please don't. And I walked away, like not a big thing. And it was a work thing. And it wasn't like, I can't believe you talked to me that way. And, you know, it's like, no, we're in work. Yeah. Um, but, and it's about, it's also always remembering your team. You know, I learned from, at Laird Superfood too, like healthy conflict is good. It pushes the situation ahead and up. Respectful conflict makes, if you have everybody agreeing, no business is gonna be successful. And I think if you can get languages, baseline languages that are always steeped in love and respect, um, it creates a real opportunity for people to push each other in a positive way. Um, and, and always be reminded, you are, are on the same team. And if they, if you all win, but somehow they got more credit, does it really matter? It's like, just let's accomplish the mission. And um, I, I and, and sorry to the men, I think it's easier for women to do this than men. I think men like, it's like, it was my idea. It's like, okay, congratulations. Um, but I think there's something to be said for, cool, now we can really continue to grow and expand. So is, if the mission is attention, that's pretty sh short-sighted. So the language is important. And, um, and again, if things are getting wonky, you just go, hey, let's have a real work conversation, not a personal conversation. And those are different. It's very apparent why you two were able to work uh, the way you do. Just the, the, the rules that you guys have established for yourself, others, you know, unintentional or just battle tested. So I think there's gonna be a lot of people that are gonna listen to that segment like over and over and over. Um, I, wanna, so I wanna say one other thing too that's important about that, which is certainly I've had practice, so I didn't just arrive at this, um, but I'm gonna tell you another dynamic on why it really also works. And it, it's called reverence. Both Laird and I are just afraid of each other just enough in a good, healthy way that we sort of go out of our way not to carelessly poke one another. Yeah. Um, and that's important because I think people sometimes create these systems where they go like, oh, well, did you do that? You know, it's like, you know, in, in a way, the goal would be for me is to be my best self. My, it, it's like a coach I've had. The best coaches are the best people. And the athletes look at them and they think, man, the win and the loss, the this and the that, that person, their character is such that no matter what, they're taking the high line. And I think that that's another very important thing where let's say, for example, Laird chooses to be not his best self or I do that. The other one stays high. Because what it inevitably does is creates a dynamic where the other person goes, ugh, I really blew that. And I got to go back up. And so I think when people talk about that, and I always say the best way you can do that and create that in your environment, your work environment, if you're the boss, you have to be that. And that really is helpful. And I did learn that from great coaches. Mm -hmm. I love that. Just stay high. 
stay high in the face of it all. So it's like, stay yeah. high. Yeah. I can hear my mentor always saying, when, con you know, when conflict presents itself, always take the high road. Yeah. Right. Always take the high road. So let's, let's go a totally different direction for a second. Okay. Obviously, you know, one could say that you two are like the most fit couple on the planet. And, and yeah, I know, first of all, I, I hope that every person listening on the audio takes the time to go back and watch Gabby's facial expressions when I say these things, or just even your comments about when you go into your husband mode, it's hysterical. But listen, so I'm, I'm turning 50 next August, right? And I train like crazy and I love it. And it's become like a, just a, a it's a passion, right, for me. And yet I noticed like training in my 30s is different than training in my 40s. And now, you know, looking at my 50s, I'm just curious, like, what advice do you have for the men and women that are out there that are, you know, they, they want to get back into training, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe they're training and they're not getting the results that they want. What yeah. advice do you have? And I know that's a huge question. Very Yeah, much. sure. Well, okay, let's look at the basics first. Mm -hmm. Most of the people are not getting enough sleep. So let's just start there. This is something yeah. that we can all do turn our devices off, um, get to sleep. And it isn't like, well, I went to bed at midnight and I got eight hours, go to bed. And I know it's very hard, especially if you have small children, because then you go, well, I have only one hour to myself in the day and they go to bed at 7.30 or whatever. Try to get to bed, first of all, because the only time we really recover is during sleep. Mm -hmm. um, again, these are basic things that we can do all the time. Nose breathe all day long, unless you're on a track. If you're doing sprints, you're allowed to dump some CO2 and mouth breathe. Otherwise, when you're sitting at your desk or everything you're doing needs to be slow, deep nose breathing. So if you could get to a cadence of like, you know, seven seconds in, seven seconds out, maybe five to six full breaths a minute, because less is actually better. Um, this will improve your all your overall sort of sense of well-being and oxygenate your system so a lot you know a lot of us are in chronic inflammation if we can oxygenate our system this this will help and and sort of notice i think first and i can get into the movement stuff later am i on the treadmill of oh i ate lunch at my desk and um i work 16 hours and these all these badges of of honor and credibility that we wear that really are not good for us kind of rejiggering and saying, I'm a priority, my life's a priority, the people in my life are a priority. And yes, we all have to work, I get it. But I think sometimes when we feel less stress, because let's, let's just take a parent or a partner, we carry a lot of stress and guilt when we know that we're not tending to those gardens. We just do, it makes us stressed out in, inside, we feel it. And so I think what people don't realize is if you said to me, Cheetos and meditation, I would say way better than alfalfa sprouts and high rev stress because it is still the worst thing. Okay. And I think with aging, we just have that accumulation, right? We have the accumulation of bad patterns, sitting too much, breathing the wrong way, too much stress for over too many weeks and too many years. So aging is a lot of things. Part of why we don't feel good is because we now have this accumulation. Not to mention that we've sold ourselves on the fact that, oh, now I'm 40, now I'm 50. We buy into that. Now, is your skin the same as when you're 20? No, it isn't. Is your muscle mass? No. Could it be freaking pretty good? It can. Mm -hmm. And so I think 
not creating a narrative. And I've had to watch this because I'll be 50 in January where all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm 50. Oh, I'm 50. I'm 50. It's like, okay, idiot. Like we got that. Now, why is that front and center? Like get on with it. So I think it's also like, what's not in your control. What are you going to do? It's not in your control. You know, like 1% less body, you know, muscle each year. But by the way, you can still manage that. Um, Oh, I have wrinkles. Yep, you do. That stuff, let it go. All the stuff you can be in charge of, your sleep, your stress, your sense of joy or peace. Um, And and your overall self-care. Hey, alcohol, by the way, not great. Cigarettes, not good. Um, You know, medication that if you don't need it, better to see what things you could eliminate. So what are the things that you're in charge of that you can support, but you can't be like, oh, I really want to be healthy. And then you're like drinking continuously and going to bed late. It's like, okay, well, it doesn't matter how much iron you bang through time. um, It's not going to work. So, and real food, listen, whether people are vegetarian or they eat um, animal protein, it's like, as close to the source as you can. And most of us are overeating because we're dehydrated or bored or stressed out. And uh, if we can manage that a little bit, I think that helps, but it has to first start with that. It's important. Yeah. Not, Oh, I really want to get in shape. Those that's rhetoric. It's like, okay, well, what's your, what's your strategy? Let's go back to that. What is your real strategy? How are you going to follow that? How are you going to execute that? Who's going to help you? Maybe you need help. We all need help. Call somebody. Say, you got to meet me at seven. We're going to go do this. Okay, great. And then give yourself a break. Like love yourself because it's so easy to see all that it is not instead of seeing, and you know, this having gone through an illness with your wife, what is good mm-hmm. and look at that and be reminded of that and be aware of what you want to work on, but what is good also. Yeah. I had a really good friend of mine who was a, uh, uh, natural, you know, homeopathic doctor who said, uh-huh. the key is to look at your life and say, where do you have dis-ease? Where do you have a state of wellness? And mm-hmm. where do you have a state of greatness? And be honest about where you have dis-ease. And, you know, so just like, I, that's always in the back of my mind. And I look at it like with every relationship, with the, my physical life, my spiritual life, my emotional life. Like, do I have some dis-ease right now with my 20-year-old son? Like, how do I get it back to wellness? And I, what I want is greatness all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, I mean, it sounds like we're on a very similar page. What do you, what do you say to the person that just says, Gabby, but you don't understand, like, you know, I'm so busy or, or look, you know, like every, this, I hear this all the time. Everyone in my family is overweight. Everybody mm-hmm. in my family has a bad back. Everybody in my family has chronic hoobie doobie. Yeah. And therefore I have hoobie doobie and I, we talk about hoobie doobie when we're together all the time. Well, the problem is why we say we actually, um, didn't inherit their genetics, we inherited the lifestyle, right? So I think it's really getting people to say, what story am I telling? Mm -hmm. And um, do I have the wherewithal to figure out a way to change this story and this narrative? And I'm gonna love my family, they're my people, Mm -hmm. but I actually have to choose to do it a different way. And also as harsh as this is, and this is the good thing about like, when you're a kid and like your parents split, you can be a little harsher Um, is you go, Oh, I, uh, I'm actually, if you're not in support of my quest, I'm actually going to also put you in a place that makes me comfortable. 
because the problem is we owe everybody and we have all this you know obligation and these things but what we have to ask ourselves is every person all the books we're reading all the things we're doing time we're spending it actually needs to be supporting us and if it's not then I need to figure out a way to love them and make them know that they're loved and appreciated, but not at the cost mm -hmm. of myself. And so what I say to people, it isn't even about saying, oh, that's right or wrong or good or bad. Does this situation make me feel comfortable or uncomfortable? Is this moving towards the, the thing I feel inside that I want so much that I know is good for me? And just keep looking, is, am I, is this friendship making me feel uncomfortable or comfortable? And be honest. And by the way, it's harsh, but it's your life and you're responsible for that. And so if it's something isn't the way you want it, then you have to actually make it that way. And people might say, oh, you know, you're doing this. I mean, talk to people who stop drinking alcohol. See what happens. Mm -hmm. They lose a lot of friends. And people will say things to them and there's a lot going on. So I think people have to realize their value system. And, um, and when they say they're so busy, it's like, okay, well, what can give? If your health is not a priority, um, then what, what's going to, what, what are you so busy doing that is more important than your health? I mean, your children are, and maybe, but, and I understand we have to survive. We have to work, but at the end of the day, and, and when people talk about being rich, why is that not coveted as one of the greatest assets that we could ever strive for, which is overall good health? And the problem is we covet large houses and clean cars and all these things. And it's like, yeah, okay, but we're like, this is one of the big ones. Yeah, 100%. Thank you. Um, switch, switch gears with me again. You guys created this this app, this movement, this, this training, shed some, like maybe for the person that has, hasn't downloaded it already. Sure. Tell us about the app. Tell us about what they can expect. Like I've been digging into it and you know, I, I love the breathing stuff. I'm now looking at the pool at my club that I go to cause I got rid of my pool. Like I'm now thinking about, are they going to be cool if I start putting weights inside the pool and yeah. I'll probably just not ask them cause that's just who I am. But so, so maybe just like, like what, what is the backstory on the company? What could somebody expect? Like just shed some light on the product. Well, XPT really was, a, you know, a, a genuine combination of our, of our lifestyle training, some of the elements. So um, it's, it's move, breathe and recover because so movement is a natural where animals are meant to move around. Doesn't mean, you know, for people listening, you don't have to kill yourself. No. Um, and now breathing is, is the pivotal one because I, what I appreciate so much about breathing and that's why it's the first thing we launched in the app is you can do it anywhere and it is the most essential elements of life, right? We can go without water for a long time. We can go out without food for 30 days, water three days and breathing three minutes, right? Mm -hmm. So, what, you know, talking about order of priority and most of us about 200 years ago, we sort of stopped breathing correctly. I don't know if it was you know, now we're sitting and, and our, our ribs are, you know, we have no room for our lungs as freely as we used to when we're either, you know, walking more, things like that. So I like that. And then recovery, what does that mean? It doesn't mean I took the day off and I sat on the couch. There are things we can do to participate in our recovery. So mobilization, if people can go into heat or 
you know, things to support the recovery, not just not do anything. And so those were elements, and th this is stuff that Laird and I were doing for 10, 12 years. The pool is a little different. Um, the pool was created where Laird sort of wanted to have a, a deeper relationship with performance in water, with that air, things like that. But then what we started to learn is, as aging athletes, you can be ballistic and dynamic without um, pounding your joints. And it was a way to train very, very hard and not be broken. And the pool will be something that is a little more special and specific. And you have to be with somebody who's so highly qualified to teach it. Because when you're dealing with an environment where there's no air, people have inherent fear, it's a real thing. Um, and now you're gonna give them dumbbells, right? However, I would say it's the most cathartic training uh, because again, how do you get to really work hot, like so hard at such a high level? And when you're done, you don't feel compressed and smashed. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and what's the most fascinating thing about the water training is this. Sometimes the difference between making it and not making it is simply my ability to relax. And so I can be like, no, I'm relaxed. It's like, are you? Because the water will tell you right away because you're burning air because you're stressed out mm -hmm. versus I could go there and back and not take a breath or go there four times or whatever. And the only difference was my ability to downregulate and get myself to relax. And for me, all training needs to be interpreted into real life. So, you know, you're in the meeting or you're getting ready for a meeting or your kids walk in and you want to, you know, kill somebody. And in that moment is an opportunity to go, can I get myself to get a grip here before I open my mouth or do anything or say anything? And so the important thing also about XPT is everything needs to translate. This is not about the size of your biceps. This is to make you a more functional, optimum organism. Whether you're doing a business, you're a parent, whatever it is, just to be your optimal self. So we, like I said, crash test dummied it for a long time. And now we're fortunate because there's sort of a system in place. And it's sort of like if people have access to it, great. If they can pluck off certain parts, I would always say the breathing is, is so important because if we learn how to breathe correctly, it's a tool we can use in our life for our health and our well-being. Mm -hmm. When you look at like the, the meditation movement, the meditation app movement, that's really yeah. exploded in the last four or five years. Yeah. Interesting that the first, uh, the first things that like when I dug into it, just because of mutual friends that, you know, that shared this. And by the way, for the people that are listening, uh, a really good friend of mine who has been on the Tom Ferry show before, Ken Carey, who's like an infomercial savant. Uh, I was with him two weeks ago and he's like, oh my God, I was just in the pool with like Laird Howell and Gabby Reese and I'm doing this training. And it, I had never heard of it before, right? Mm -hmm. But I was instantly fascinated. But then he talked about recovery. And I think the things that people miss, like everybody gets like, okay, I want to train hard. But not a lot of people talk about the importance of getting cold, getting hot, breathing, relaxing, the recovery side. So I think, you know, when I downloaded the app, like I kind of immediately was moved to go that direction, right? Yeah. Especially the breathing stuff, because we can do it. Well, first of all, we do it all the time. Yes. Let's actually do intentional breathing for the people that are listening. Like before you go on an appointment, get calm. When you come out of the appointment and your adrenaline's rushing because you just got a signed contract and you're, bah, right? Like, Breathe, slow down. By the way, your husband has just popped through the door for the second time there. It's just 
completely hysterical. I love it. <laughs> so, so Gabby, um, you can download the app, iOS, yeah, Android. Yeah. Um, actually, I heard through the grapevine it isn't Android, so I'm going to apologize ahead. But I think the thing, too, is even for sleeping, you know, to downregulate prior to sleep, Let's say you have a big thing you're taking on. It teaches you how to upregulate and warm up and kind of be like, I'm ready. Yeah. So I think it's, again, for me, the breath is your tool to utilize um, in any way needed in whichever circumstance. And I think that, that that's so important. And, and I, I want to be really clear. When I talk about being healthy or fit, yes, okay, I want to be a certain type, you know, window of body fat and strength. And I like it if my physique, you know, looks organized and tone but what i've learned from all these years of training is if you can't manage yourself more times than not we're human we blow it it yeah. happens yeah then we're sort of really missing a lot of the point and training is just a way or eating healthier or breathing these are just ways to get us into more fertile ground to manage ourselves and our relationships and our responses and things like that. So I think it's really important for people to realize, yes, I come from a sports background, but that for me, the notion of being well, it's a, it's a complete picture. Yeah. My tribe has heard me say a hundred, if not a thousand times, take your meds. And they all like look at me and go, and I'm like, meditate, exercise, diet, and sleep. And somehow exactly. I got to be now into that. Maybe it's like, you know, maybe you, drop, no, no. you just say beds. You know. <laughs> it's all it's all part of meditating. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so Gabby, this has been amazing. I, I obviously like if people don't have access to a pool, like is this is this going to become something that I could go to some gym and I can yeah. I can go and get training? Are you guys certifying people across the world? Like, help me understand that side too. Yeah. So eventually, they'll be they are going to do certs. The pool will be the hardest thing for yeah. people to get certified in. Um, but they'll like XPT is looking to sort of do these, you know, boxes where people could, you know, do some heat, do some mobility, do some ice, um, do breathing classes. And then there will definitely be specific locations um, for the pool. But again, that's just something we have to calibrate and be super responsible. Yeah. yeah, you yeah. Know? And by the way, as a side note, Ken Carey is a stud. Just so you know, because, you know, I, I have a lot of military guys and athletes and stuff. And I always say in about seven minutes, I could tell who you'd want to be in a foxhole with because who freaks out, who's like can process information, all these things can carry, um, did some drills that showed his real mental toughness. Yeah. He actually, Legit. yeah, he's going to listen to this and he's going to say, thank you very much. And then he's going to say, in fairness. He said, there was no way that I was going to not follow through. He goes, I looked around and saw these Navy SEALs and all these rock stars. And like, you know, his chest got burned. Oh, yeah. He is. He's a total stud. He is, for real. Because it's at that point, it stops being physical. And it is the mental. And that's what people have to always be reminded. Yeah. That our spirit and our mind, you know, I feel like those are the harder things to get in check and to be better. And that's why I'm like, okay. I'll keep my body dialed because that's sort of the straightforward part. And then I can try to keep tackling my mind and my emotions and, and things like that. So. Love it. Love it. You are such a blessing. This has been really fun. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I, you know, listen, I really appreciate when people, uh, you know, when they choose to be entrepreneurs, I, I know how challenging that is. And I also know how rewarding it is, but I feel like in this life, it's a, it's, it's a really creative way 
to to approach it even though you know you do kind of get more leakings in a different way yeah. um but that makes it pretty cool yeah i agree i agree so as we wrap up obviously mm -hmm. go check out only on ios right now uh the yeah. xbox app yeah. strongly recommended for my tribe check it out um what else what else should they be doing oh. I, I'm actually launching my podcast in about 10 days. I used to do one with a gentleman named Neil Strauss called The Truth Barrel. And so now I'm doing one by myself, which is going to be interesting for me. Um, and uh, so I'm working on that. And yeah, but I would encourage people just to check out the uh, the app because it's something that could, they could really utilize. And once they're taught, it's sort of like, they'll always be, we're always updating it and have new programs. But really, it's about giving them the power to go, oh, I know how I'm feeling. I know what I need to do right now. Bingo. Bingo. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I can't wait to check out the podcast. Uh, that should be super great. By the way, I noticed your uh, anxiety just on your face when you said that. You might want to check out your anxious breathing app on XBT. <laughs> well, listen, nobody's that interesting is what I say. Like, you know. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, listen, you, my dear, you are pretty damn interesting. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it uh, for all my friends out there. Uh, make sure you share this with uh, the faces and the back ends and the entrepreneurs and the spouses and the kids that you know that should listen to this message because Gabby Reese has got it going on. She is the real deal. Yes, with lots of lessons ahead of me, by the way. <laughs> One, th but that's the whole game. That's the whole game. <laughs> all right, well, thank you so much. And for all my friends out there listening and watching, we appreciate you always. And we'll talk to you on the next week's podcast. If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.